Today, we have three special guests, and I can't wait to introduce them to you on this very special episode, Lucky Number 13. But first, all of you listening from home, to those of you uh, working and working out at home, those doing essential business out in the world, driving in the car or wherever you're tuning in, I want to, I want to take a moment to tell you something very important, and that is that tomorrow is my birthday. Um, yes, very important. For my birthday this year, I'm asking for donations to the Minnesota Freedom Fund Incorporated. I've chosen this nonprofit because their mission means a lot to me. Many people don't know that I was actually born in Minnesota, not Iceland. Um, I hope you'll consider contributing as a way to celebrate with me. The uh, Minnesota Freedom Fund pays criminal bail and immigration bond for those who cannot afford to as we seek to end discriminatory, coercive, and oppressive jailing. Always remember, Black Lives Matter. As I'm preparing to head back to San Francisco, I want to tell you about how you can have fun with me this weekend. Saturday, June 20th, it's uh, the second of our Golden Girls Live Pride episode readings. Um, and you can get tickets on RushTix.com. Joining us are Matthew Martin, a uh, whole lot of times, Darcy Drollinger, and very special guest, Ethelina Can. Speaking of Ethelina Can, my final show with Ethelina is uh, this Sunday, June 21st, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and that is Drag Divas Live. I've had a lot of fun in quarantine down here. And uh, next week, you can find out about my Pride uh, shows that I'm doing uh, for a virtual Pride weekend. Now, onto the show. Later on in the show, James Arthur, an actor from San Francisco, he lives in Oakland, and he is the co-creator, host, and producer of the podcast Minority Corner with a K. He says he's on a mission to heal the world, and that stands for help, entertain, actualize, and love. James and his co-hosts tackle important topics in politics, American history, science, and the evergreen questions such as, hey, what's going on with Wendy Williams? That's later. But first, two very special guests, and these two are uh, people I've admired for a, quite a long time. I've admired their work ethic. I've admired their drag. I've admired uh, just how they uh, how they portray themselves, and they are truly cutting edge. They were so generous to me when I was doing Tranny Shack in uh, Los Angeles. They partnered with me, and uh, they had me at Dragula. Anyway... Two of my favorite people, they are, of course, the ghouls from Boulay Brothers. Give it up for Drakmorda and Swantha La Boulay. Hi, guys. Uh, how, how are you? you? <laughs> I'm good. So happy to be here. Yeah. Oh thanks God. for the introduction. That was great. Yeah. I mean, we we we, not, we need an introduction on that level. Everywhere we go, I love it. Thank you. Oh, was, really? No, that was really generous of you, too. You've always been so amazing to us as well. So that is really nice to hear, and it's completely mutual. Well, it's just amazing. Like, I, I just stand back and watch you guys go and go and go. I'm like, how do they do it? And, you know, I have to say, when I really admire somebody like you or Peaches or other people, uh, it's uh, I, I know that I'm admiring them because I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, like, how the fuck do they come up with those looks all the time? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. You know, you it. inspire us, too. Like, you know, especially when we were all doing clubs, you know, we would always be like, like, what would Hecklina do? You know, because we're like, when times get hard, I'm like, Hecklina will go ahead and like, she's like, I'm opening this bar. I'm going to run over here and do this fundraiser. I'm going to come back and do a club night. Then I'm going to go to after hours. I'm like, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, no, yes. No, your work ethic, your, your work ethic kind of uh, was something that we looked to to say, 
this is someone that we would emulate to be like too. Like yeah. that, that's why we connected with you and Peaches. Um, yeah. And we, we created that little kind of sister city connection, Los Angeles and San Francisco. And, you know, we saw kindred spirits, not only in your style and what you do and what inspires you, but your work ethic as well. So. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm, yeah. I'm, for, I'm forever grateful when Drock reached out to me ages ago and we got to know each other. So I, I want to know, are you guys, you guys are joining us from Los Angeles. Yes. yes. You guys have been, of course, quarantining together. Yes. Now you do everything together, but I got to, I got to ask you and just be honest, are you ready to kill each other after um, being in each other's company every day, <laughs> all Sur- day? <laughs> Surprisingly not. I mean, we get along really good. We have fun together. So we kind of just make everything fun. And yeah, I don't know. We're getting along really good. We haven't even had any big blowouts, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I think we have fewer blowups during the quarantine than we do like kind of in our normal lives. I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing. I'm, I've, I've never known you guys to like be bitter with each other and bicker. Of course, I don't know what happens behind closed doors. Well, like any couple, we quarrel, but, you know, we do have a lot in common and we have fun and we work together and, you know, we keep life exciting. So it's, it's just a small, it's a small thing. Most of the time it's external things that get us going at each other. So like if we're filming like on the show and it's just like a really long day, I think one of us might run out of patience before the other one. And that can like, uh, invite a conflict. (laughs) Usually me. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm like, shut up. Stop acting like that. Someone's going to see you. (laughs) And then I'm just like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. You guys are so great about, about your image and all that stuff. Now I like, like most drag performers, everybody had to adjust overnight to, um, this new normal temp, you know, for now anyway, what is right. it? What what is a day in the life of Bully Brothers nowadays? I mean, so I mean, we're kind of we were almost ready to start casting for season four, so we sort of had to pull back on that. But this is the time period that we would be doing a lot of sort of pre-production stuff and working on things behind the scenes. So we're, we are able to still do some of that with Zoom meetings and stuff like that. Um, and we've also had to diversify. Like you have too, doing these digital, the digital drag format, which is new for us. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of took up a lot of time because we're like, you know what, let's do it. Like we didn't want to do it all the time, but we wanted to put on a couple of productions. So we, you know, we have our production office here. So we were able to use the, all of our equipment that we have for, you know, clubs or filming or whatever to set up kind of a cool space to do live shows in. So we spent a lot of time on that. Um, we're working on stuff in the background and that's about it, I would say. Well, I'm going to interject too. It's almost a little bit of a forced relax, which Mm -hmm. we generally do not do. Uh, We would never make time to just say, oh, I'm just going to chill out for a week or two. It's like, no, we we always kind of like throw coal in in uh, in the furnace and keep it rolling. But this has kind of caused us to slow down and appreciate the things that are around us. And I think a lot of people have that same experience. And, you know, part of that's been nice. I'm ready for it to be over. I mean, yeah. I think it's been way too long. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know. it's going to be it's going to be weird. Well, I think when it when it is over, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a slow trickle of things opening. Of course, we all know that. So, um, you know, I, I have to say I'm kind of enjoying it and kind of not like when I found out shelter in place was uh, was extended another month. I was kind of like, yes, you know, I get to. Yeah, <laughs> because it, it is a forced thing, but but I do want life to get back to normal. Yeah. Um, well, so so season four is on hold. Can you tell us anything about it? I, I know you guys love to be tight lipped about all that stuff. 
Um, well, I think there's going to be a lot more content, mm-hmm. uh, than just the season. I'll say that that's a fun tidbit. So we're working on a few things. So there's a uh, more content coming out of the Dragula brand than just uh season four. So that's a good little tidbit of information. <laughs> well, I, I, I definitely learned my lesson about keeping, uh, keeping, <laughs> keeping, keeping secrets. So, oh uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell a backstory. So I was, <laughs> I, I used to do a podcast in San Francisco, the, the sideshow, and I was a judge on Dragula and I signed a non, uh, an NDA. And then I went back to San Francisco and I was like, no one's going to hear this. And I talked all about it and, and, and everybody, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I was just, I was just being dumb, but anyway, uh, while water under the bridge, but I was mortified at first. I was like, Oh my God. And you know, that podcast got me into a lot of trouble. Really? Not, not just with you guys, but with a lot of people. Oh, because, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, because those hosts that I, that I always get me to talk about, other people <laughs> yeah and, and, and in my mind i'm just talking to people but you forget there's a microphone in front of you anyway right. so on season three of dragula you crowned the first ever drag king to win yes. a televised drag reality television competition of course landon cider can you tell us a bit about the experience of that and making season three and well this is a two-parter <laughs> tell us also about the anti-establishment drag family values that you all put into making the show what it is I think I think that you are um you know very learned in the whole school of thought of drag is not just female impersonation and all of this you know programming that we've all as a nation and even as a world kind of been led to believe uh coming you know, from San Francisco, I've been to Tranny Shack here. I've been to Tranny Shack there. I've been to a lot of other parties. Uh, SF has the same type of train of thought that we do. And in our our lessons uh, learned about what drag is and what drag could and should be go back to New York. So we were just doing what we believed uh, to be representational of the drag world. So it's the same thing that Dragula the Party was biological girls could per- could participate it's drag kings it's drag queens afab whatever you want to call them it's sort of a no holds barred uh, artistic expression and an exercise in that expression so we didn't really have to say hey guys how are we going to do this for us it was a very natural extension of what we were already doing yeah and as far as filming you know because we had hollow eve landon we had just like people from all different walks of life and sexualities and identities. And we just decided we're like, we're not going to do anything different. We want, we're, you know, we're just going to make this the Dragula experience. Just like, you know, when we did the club, everybody competed in it. I mean, it was every sexuality or gender identity across the board. Everybody would compete in it. So we're like, we're just going to do it just like that for the show everything's going to be the same and just let everybody go crazy, which they did. Yeah, <laughs> they totally. Sure, they sure did. And and, there, and I think at first it was like, Ooh, how will uh, drag Kings and, or, or others, how will their art kind of cross over and re come across on a show or on a platform that traditionally people are just uh, trained to think of as like, this is just for drag Queens. This is just for drag Queens. And the truth is challenge after challenge and, and, and all of the scenarios that we set up for them it was completely translatable. There was no bumps in the road at all. It was a very easy kind of natural thing for, for it to for, for it to come across. Yeah, interestingly, we wanted to have drag kings on the first season of the show. And the thing was, it took people a while to even understand that we were open to that 
on our platform because they were just so trained to thinking, oh, okay, you have to be this or that to be on a drag reality show. And we're like, no, it's like the party. Like if you are able to compete at the party, it's the same thing. You can come and be on the show. So it took people, I think, until after season two to really know, oh, okay, you know, anybody can go on there. They mean that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's not, they're not just saying that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's like, so with, with Tranny Shack, I can't really speak for you guys, but when, when I started Tranny Shack, I did not come from a set of rules. I, I did not have a drag mother. I did not come from any kind of imperial court. So my thing was like, I, I didn't even realize it was being revolutionary. I, I don't want to say that word, but all that mattered at Tranny Shack was what you did on stage. And so from the get-go, we were letting, now it's, now it's AFAB, but back then we called it Folk Queens. And, um, and some, of the, some of the AFAB girls, they really knocked it out of the park. Like Animatronic was the first one. And uh, yeah, so, and, and I didn't even realize it was strange until I tried to take these drag performers, these girl uh, AFAB drag performers to other cities. Like I remember I took them, I took a couple of them to uh, London and I sent the names of the performers so they could buy the, the plane tickets. And I got this word back from London. Something's wrong here. These are girl names. And I was like, oh so yeah. the whole, so the entire time I was in London with them, we had to pretend that they were trans. Wow. You know? oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Oh it, it was kind of like Victor Victoria in a way. Oh wow, that's interesting. Well, uh, otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't buy it. They'd be like, "These are girls." Like they they've not. Uh, I don't know. So I think it's great. It's great that you guys uh, had Landon Cider, and uh, you know, and there's no all that matters on Dragula is yeah is what you bring to it. Yeah, and Landon won like hands down. You know, there there was no. You know, I think people thought, oh well, maybe they're gonna make what are these, you know, diverse people win for some sort of, you know, ulterior motive. And I'm like, you watch the show, like Landon won period. <laughs> yeah, he, he delivered. There was no tokenization or let's crown the King to make it you know, sensationalize the, the season. There's nothing like that. In fact, I, I, we wanted, we wanted Landon to be on the show for a while. And, um, the first episode, I was a little concerned because he didn't do the best on the first challenge. Now, immediately after the second challenge, I was like, there's Landon Sider. But the first challenge, I was like, uh-oh. You know, yeah. like I was scared for a minute, but it ended up working out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, he's so creative, those looks and everything. And too, like outspoken, like he's, you know, he's an activist. He's uh, really kind-hearted. He's had an interesting life. Um, it's just like the, a great representation for our brand. Like we're super proud of him. Oh, good. Yeah, it's really... So... Well, we can't really talk about uh, the contestants that are coming up in season four or any of that stuff. But, um, well, Peaches Christ and I have obviously been judges on uh, Dragula. You had some amazing judges like Henry Rollins and stuff. Can you tell us anything about who we might see appear on Dragula as a guest judge when you guys start filming? I think you'll see uh, maybe some more people from the horror world. I think, uh, you know, directors and actors from, you know, we had a bunch last season, um, as far as like Bonnie Aarons and Daniel Harris and people like that. And I think, uh, the show's really resonating in the horror space and a lot of, uh, we're mixing it up with a lot of horror creators and they're very interested in the show and they have a lot to say about this sort of drag. So I think you'll see some of them. You'll see some of our favorites. Like, you know, I'm sure we'll have you guys involved in some way again, cause it's just fun to have you guys in and you, you are so influential in this sort of drag that to us, it just makes sense, you know? 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, although I gotta, I gotta say, like everybody's been nostalgic right now because the stud shut down in San Francisco. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm seeing all these old photos of uh, me pop up from hosting the show in like the '90s and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I don't remember any of it. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening too fast, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm, I'm looking at these photos and going, I just don't remember any of it. I have seen so, so much of that lately, like all, videos and like Peaches and Squeaky are all sharing uh, stuff from the stud and stuff from Tranny Shack. It's so cool to see. Besides your amazingly successful television show and an enviable Netflix deal, and by by enviable, I mean. I'm jealous again. Uh, can, can you tell us about any other projects you're working on, you know, besides, yeah, besides the show? Uh, so let's see. We are working on something scripted, which is exciting because it's something we've always wanted to do. And, you know, we're, we, we both write and create crazy universes and stories and stuff all the time. Um, but, you know, we haven't gotten the chance to flex that in a movie format. So I think we're going to be able to... I think we can talk about that. So that's a project that we're working. So we are working working on something scripted. Uh, we also have our podcast uh, with Fangoria now, the Blade Brothers Creatures of the Night that just launched uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's already like one of the most listened to podcasts on Fangoria. So we're super happy about that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. it's re- it's actually been a really fun thing. I wasn't sure how it would tra- like we would translate to doing podcast hosting and creating like a podcast format type of show. But it's been so fun. I, I actually look forward to it all the time. Well, you know, people on, that watch us on the show, because we're there as judges, you know, we're very stoic and you don't really get to see much of our personality. So we felt like the podcast, you know, would be a good a good way to connect with fans and talk to people and let them see who we really are. Because a lot of times we can't express our opinions too strongly on the show. So we're like, oh, that'll be fun. You know, it's, a lot of people ask us to do it. So we went for it and it's been fun so far. Uh, what? Oh, What? is your opinion on that other drag reality television show, um, RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, We might have different opinions. I'll I'll say my opinion. Um, (laughs) I think it's odd. I think when they started, it was very pioneering, you know? And I think just because they've stuck around as long as they have, it's odd because they've almost become very mainstream. You know, it seems like they started out kind of rebellious and punk and just the idea of, of having a drag performer on, on a, a mainstream TV was probably outrageous. And now it's just so not outrageous that I don't know. It's, it's, and they've become so big, you know, with all the drag cons and spinoffs in every country and everything. It, I almost wonder sometimes that they haven't lost the, vision of the show, you know, but I also, another thing feel weird about, um, the sort of drag that they put out there because now they're so influential that I almost feel like it hurts the art of drag. Cause you know, they have to homogenize what they put out there for the masses so that a lot of people watch it. They are on a big network. They need, you know, they need the masses to enjoy the show and support it. So they sort of put out these very safe forms of drag. And I just feel like that's kind of dangerous for the art of drag. Cause like you, Hecklina, you know, you come from the same kind of place that we do. And, uh, you know, drag is very artistic and political and wrong and shocking and all and, these things. And personal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I feel like now when I see, I feel like uh, when uh, queens are starting drag now, they learn how to paint that white stripe down their nose. Mm-hmm. They learn they learn how to contour. They learn how to, but they don't learn how to perform or, or be on stage. And that is the big part of it. 
You know what yeah. I mean? And and when these girls go on the show and they come and perform, when I when I was the owner of Oasis, they just had nothing to give to an audience. And so, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree with you. It's like now when you see new girls come along, you go, okay, she's trying to be uh, Aquaria. She's trying to be yeah. this person. So there is, it is a little bit... Yeah, I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of double down on a lot of the stuff that Drax said. Uh, I did. I was a fan of the show for for years when it kind of first started. Um, I thought it was unique and kind of cool to see that kind of queer content and people in drag. And I think years ago it was much more expressive and it actually. promoted the idea of being artistic and being original and kind of putting your own personal stamp on what you're bringing to a stage and creativity and celebrating that. But I think that, um, you know, that was in its pioneering days and, and, and the show has just lost a lot of its edge and, and kind of moved into like this money-making space and, and kind of mirroring what Drax said about homogenizing and really catching all the numbers. Uh, and I think they kind of, disregarded their responsibility to say, oh, now we're the most visible, the visible kind of shepherds of this art form. And we're not really taking care of it. We're not showing that it's super creative and it can be really dynamic and so different. Um, I think they just lost all of that and and they've lost themselves a little. Well, they're very possessive of drag too, which I've always found to be strange because how can you sort of take an art form? Can you imagine if someone's like, I'm a painter? And I own painting and I'm going to try to squash <laughs> yeah, out anybody else exactly. that paints. You know, that's what it feels like sometimes. And that's a little weird, I think. But, you know, I don't want to knock them or what they do. Or uh, what I hope to do is to, you know, build a different community that's just a different outlet that celebrates the kind of things that we believe in. So they can do what they want and we'll do what we want. And other people can do what they want, too. And hopefully it'll it'll make put a few more voices out there so it's not all coming from one place, you know? Yeah, my feeling is that like gay people, a lot of have worked so hard to get acceptance in the mainstream that once they do reach the mainstream, they play it completely safe. And I feel like a lot of straight programming is much more adventurous, you know. So I, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in RuPaul's Drag Race and other queer shows that just once they get to that level, they just want to become totally safe and 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 that's not what drag is supposed to be no it's like they're asking permission it's like is this okay guys like uh, you do you accept me am i am, is this okay you know and and we're very much against that too like we're the opposite like we're going to lean into being offensive uh if we feel like it because we want to stay original we don't ha- we're not trying to aim to be heteronormative i don't i want this to make you a little uncomfortable i want it to and, continue to do that yeah and i think it's you know it's easy when you're in the the tv and entertainment industry to let too many voices get in your head and start moving you in a direction. You're like, oh, well, if I do this, it'll get this big and into this. It's, you know, but for us, we've never been motivated by money, but for the show. So I think that's what it is. We, we, we get off on making the show. Like we enjoy, we have fun making it. Like it's like getting with your friends and, and just doing the most creative thing you want. Um, and so that's what, and that, that's what makes us happy. We've never been like, Hey, we have to do this so we can make this about a money or what about this? So I think it allows us to be more creative because we don't care. And then, you know, interestingly enough, we were able to get on the biggest platform in the world by doing exactly what we do. We had drag Kings and everything. We didn't edit ourselves at all. And they still, took the show. So it's like, you know, that kind of proves that you really don't have to wash to, to whitewash everything down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm going to say that 
I've been interviewed a thousand times like you guys have. And most boring question I have ever asked is, what do you think of the world of drag today? We kind of covered that with RuPaul's Drag Race. But right now, the world is a shit show. We have this we have this demonic guy in the White House. We have riots in the streets. We have black people being murdered. We have the fucking coronavirus shutting down nightlife. Um, so... What is the point of drag? Now, to me, the only thing I can ever think to do in the face of adversity, you know, AIDS, all that stuff, uh, is entertain or, and try and make humor out of it. But it's my, my words have kind of escaped me in the past couple of days with uh, the murder of George, Flo- George Floyd. I mean, what can we as drag performers offer to the world in this dark, really dark time? I think two things. One, I've always found, at least for me, when I was, you know, going out to gay bars and stuff, when I was first, you know, underage sneaking into clubs, a lot of the drag performers that I looked to were very smart and savvy and political, and they inspired me at the time. So I think it's important for drag artists to speak out. Not everybody doesn't have to. I don't feel like we should shame people if they don't. Because some people just aren't right. good at it. They trip over themselves. Or honestly, you don't want them to start being outspoken because they're not very smart. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but the ones that have a voice, that have intelligence, and that can be inspiring. I think I always think of drag uh, artists as the shamans of the gay community. Exactly. And that's something Swan, that Swana said. So I feel like, you know, if you're good at it, use your voice to inspire people. And then if you're not good at it, but you're funny or entertaining or whatever, I mean, look, we can't be serious 24 hours a day. So it's like, give people some levity and some art or comedy or whatever it is that you do. I don't think it's bad to, to, you know, do things online in the meantime. I mean, hopefully eventually we'll have to get back to a space where our, uh, you know, our gay temples are open and we can all go perform and inspire people live. But for now, you know, I think it's important to get online and do what you can do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's all, it's all I know how to do pretty much, you know, and, and my entire, I'm, I'm, I'm making air quotation marks. You can't see them, but my entire career, unquote, quote, unquote, career (laughs) has been about just like you guys. It's, it's, it's been about throwing events where lots of people are in these, you know, cramped spaces, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. It is like, are you, are you guys ever going to bring back, uh, Queen Kong? we've talked about it a little bit. We are not done with events. I mean, certainly our Halloween ball is like our favorite thing. We do it annually, but I mean, who knows about this year, but let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, You know, Queen Kong was such a groundbreaking party in a new sector of the city and really kind of created a new culture in Los Angeles for years. I think we might bring her, uh, bring dust her off and bring her out, you know, here and there, or like do, do special events in the same kind of, Bane as as Queen Kong. Yeah. Yeah, we you know, we it's weird you two with Oasis like we sort of both got out of that at right before all this happened. So, it'll be interesting to see how we can adapt to it once it, you know, once things open back up and we can, you know, quote allowed to do events again. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was uh, I think that I got out of it with at least with Oasis because I felt like I had nothing more to say in the format of doing a weekly drag show. I'd done it thousands of times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So so I was like, what more can I do? But now I'm I'm not tied to this um 
money-making thing, which is Oasis. I don't have to program it to make sure thousands of people show up. I can kind of do what I want, which is a freedom. Um, And that's why I kind of respect you guys. You guys just do whatever you want to. And that's got to be really freeing. It is. I mean, sometimes, like, you know, we've, we've stepped off of things. Like when we saw Queen Kong, it, you know, people, it was like, gay church for people in downtown Los Angeles. So, you know, really it was scary because it's also, you know, it's regular income. Everyone looked up to it. We had almost a responsibility, it seemed like. So it was a little scary, but I always say like, you don't want to overstay your welcome. You never want to do that. So every time we've ended a party, we've ended it when it's hot because I never want to get that feeling that's like, you should have stepped out last year. Right. Like it's like, like a sort of like a, a depressing funeral like week after week and they're like oh, okay let's like let's put the final nail in and like put her in the ground like it, it can be really sad you know, california is weird like that because parties here can go on forever for so long because in new york it wasn't like that like a hot party would go on for maybe a year maybe two or three years at the most but you know everything changed people would reinvent their parties constantly right and when we came to la people were like this is my 34th i'm like 34 right, you know? right. yeah yeah no, <laughs> now i'm that true. person <laughs> well, well I, yeah everything i've ever started club wise has gone on for years like tranny shack went on for like 14 years daytime realness is we're in our 10th year of course we're not doing it yeah but yeah. um yeah i don't know it's true they they do go on forever and they just kind of change. Well, yeah. going back to that whole idea of like, uh, you know, queens or drag performers being kind of like the shamans of the community. Like we do things to bring people together and keep people connected and continue conversations, whether that be in a club or you with your pad- podcast, us with our podcast, our show. We kind of we keep carrying the torch and I, and we've gotten lots of feedback and I imagine you have too uh, about podcast episodes or ways in which your the, the fans still see you and they'll be like, you know, thank you for that. You really kind of brought me out of a dark place or I needed what you had to say. Your message reached me just when I needed it the most. So we're continuing in just different ways to keep our voices out there. Keep like that queer sort of connective tissue alive, even during like this crazy time when the world is on fire. Yeah. I told people at the last Queen Kong too, I was like, yeah, we're not going to be here every week, but you know what the message, because the message is that we would put out there at Queen Kong and inspire the people in LA. I was like, we have the opportunity to do that on the world stage. And I think it's important for us to do that. And we should do it. We should take the opportunity, you know, whether it works out or not, who knows, but we have to take the chance and, you know, spread that to other people that maybe will inspire them as well. So they didn't like it. So <laughs> 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 I thought that was going to be a big moment. It wasn't. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that we are, we are, I mean, First and foremost, we're club people. And, and you know, when I'm sure sometimes you're like, oh, my God, I, I will say this about the current state of drag. The only good thing about it is how easy the drag is for me. I, <laughs> I, 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 I've I seen a, your cameos. No, yeah, <laughs> I put it. I put a dress on. Sometimes I don't do any eye makeup. But seriously, if fucking RuPaul can wear a stupid mask. Oh, uh, my the God. Finale, you know, I, I, I felt guilty about it. I was like, I'm putting these sunglasses on. But then I, saw, then I saw RuPaul and I was like, well, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but I am. Uh, and that's really I mean, I, I will say that 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 is so offensive to the audience of RuPaul's 
Drag Race and the uh, and the contestants. You know, it's but, funny you mention yeah. that because that was part of the reason also that we're like we have to do this digital drag because you know drag always evolves and change. And I'm like, if we're gonna judge people's drag, we've got to know what we're talking about. We have to be actively participating in drag in whatever form it takes. So if it turns digital, we better go digital and do an amazing job at it. So I think it, it's weird to not to to be like, I'm the number one drag person, but I actually can't get in drag myself. It's kind of a strange thing, you know? Yeah, I'm the number one. I'm, I'm, I'm the number one drag queen in the world and I hate drag. <laughs> and and, I and that. yeah, and I don't want to uh and, and and i don't know how to do my own makeup and hair so <laughs> basically i mean I was someone, I was like, can you imagine if you're like i am the number one cook in the world and i have a cooking show and i'm gonna hand a crown to someone but i actually have never cooked in my life <laughs> exactly well it's like it's like all those challenges that that, sh- that that happened early on like the more realistic ones like making a dress rupaul has never made of her own fucking dress <laughs> in her entire life you know what i mean so so I, I i i just wish there was actual real challenges that drag queens have to face like suck like sucking a dick without getting <laughs> lipstick all over the dick you know what i mean uh sucking it uh, sucking pulling some guy's pants down and not having your nails fall off or whatever you know it's like real challenge how does how, how not to sweat your makeup off in a hot club like queen kong or tranny show like that's oh, real yeah. you know what i mean practical yeah. skills <laughs> practical drag skills oh my god that would be amazing but oh my god I, we put them all in a stall and we're like okay who can pee first with and have all your nails and pads and everything. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I always lost half my nails when I'd have to go pee. Oh, For yeah. real, that's when the gloves would come. We come in the second act of Queen Kong, and we'd have gloves on. They'd be like, "Why well, have gloves on?" I'm like, "Don't worry about it." <laughs> oh lord! All right, now the, here's the most important question that I've okay. that I've. What is your favorite memory of me? <sighs> <laughs> I have my favorite memory of you. I have a lot of favorite memories of you because I love you. Yeah, but you you actually you afforded us so many opportunities when we were when we were figuring out uh, our path too. I have a lot of amazing memories. Uh, a handful of shekels is one of them, and I was like, "This bitch just handed me a heckles shekel." I think I know what Jack's gonna say, though. Go ahead. So, performance-wise, I've you've done a lot of stuff that just I love, but you did this one show at Dragula where you kind of got staked and you kept pulling this red sash out of your chest like it was blood yeah. and you like slowly died on the stage it was so hysterical i loved it and it was like perfectly drag it was like campy and fun but kind of gothy too it's like <laughs> i love that and then uh and then one of my favorite memories of you is you know when we first started doing dragula it was after you know we had had like a, a club empire that rose and collapsed and everything and you know we were struggling for a while and when we first started doing dragula in san francisco it was tough and you really helped us you know and i remember one night it was like not the best night in the world and you were like you don't have to pay me tonight and i was oh, like yeah. I mean, that like just was a game changer because I think you're the first person literally ever in nightlife that has ever said that to us. And it just meant a lot because it just showed that you were just there because you loved it. And we, I really appreciated that. Wait a minute. I said that? Yeah, yeah you actually. did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you remember the time when Jackie B was there and Jackie's like, 
okay, my Uber costs this much. Can you please give me 10 extra dollars from my Uber? <laughs> I, I sure, specific, I sure do. Dollars for this. And I remember specifically she said, you did say all, all expenses. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved you for that because you called it out. We were all like, this bitch, what the fuck? Well, like 32 yeah. cents for this man. Oh, totally. Totally, yeah. But yeah. you know, I'm like, was, she's got a house, so she's she's smart, I guess, you know? There was, was another kind yeah. of amazing yeah. night. It was, you You guys were doing Tranny Shack at the DNA Lounge, and I think this was the only time we went to DNA. You brought us on stage that night, which you were like, oh, my friends are here from Dragula, come up on stage. And I was like just blown away by your generosity to share the stage with us. We were your guests, you know, and I think we were just kind of starting out in San Francisco. Um, Latrice Royale was there that night. You let us go up there. You, you're like, oh, go meet her. It was the first time we met Latrice. It was just, everything was like so gracious. And then I think I was watching you host. Latrice came out. You were off on the side, but you were still on the stage. And I think they had the wraparound stairs that kind of went up to that second level. And like Latrice is going on and on and on. And the crowd is eating it up. It's a great show. And you were like, Eh, you kind of like just threw your shoulders up and you laid down on the stairs. <laughs> oh my God, I did not. <laughs> you did. Yes, you oh did. God. And I was like, I, just I down. love I loved her. It. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, damn, this is a long one. I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to lay down right here. <laughs> You was still like looking at your watch and you just slowly kind of sat down and started. And I know because she has a corset on. Maybe she's kind of leaning over because she can't really sit, sit, you know? She does go on. So one of my my worst memories of working with you guys, and this is, was when you guys had me at Dracula in Los Angeles and I did a performance and (laughs) and it it included uh, like Ajax powder. (laughs) So I I went to the, to the dollar store and got a, got a can of it. Now, any, Anybody else with any, you know, with any consideration would have emptied out the Ajax and then filled up the container with baby powder or something. But I did not. I used it and I, and I smashed it and it flew everywhere and it almost blinded some people in the audience. Oh my God, it I was sure dying. <laughs> <This guy laughs> runs, we, were, we were backstage and this guy runs to the bar and he's like, help me, I'm blind. I'm, blind. <laughs> I'm like, she wouldn't do that. She's a professional. I'm sure it's just baby powder. There's no way. Because you were aggressive. You were like aggressive. Aggressively, like scouring oh the audience. It was a God. great show. It was a great show. I'll say that. But like, that is a punk bitch. She's like, I don't care. I'm pouring it in my mouth. I'm pouring it all over the crowd. I really don't give a fuck. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God. You oh. were great, though. I remember that night. I so I so can't wait to be able to perform again in front of audiences. Oh, can I tell you a scary story about that night? So you yeah. know how the. Uh, the fault line was very janky back back then. And, you know, we would have to put multiple stages together. Well, you know, Ian was standing there. He was like supposed to help you on stage and off and make sure you had everything you needed. Well, he is standing there watching you perform. And there was like a little uh, like two foot riser that stuck out like a little runway. And you were jumping up and down and your heel was like a centimeter from going in between the two stages because it had separated during the show and i was like oh he was like terrified you were gonna fall but you didn't oh my (laughs) god yeah how's he doing he's good he's he's uh, quarantined with us pretty much so he's he's here uh but he's doing good yeah Oh, well, it was so good to talk to you guys uh now i i think we're at about the 40 minute mark so is there anything else you guys want to talk about? People at home are staying safe and that they kind of remain positive. And 
I want to encourage people not to take the bait and try to block everybody on social media that they don't agree with. Because the truth is, we all have to share this earth together. And I feel like at some point, we're going to have to come together and find a middle ground because we can't just erase people. And the truth is, if we scare people off, come November, when it's time to vote, people are just going to secretly vote for Trump again, and then we're going to be in a worse mess. So hopefully people can learn to be a little more tolerant and inspiring. Yeah, Stay connected. I think, yeah, yeah. I think it's very true. I think sometimes in the left, we lash out at the thing closest to us when really we need to remember the big picture. And people are getting so many different messages right now that they should log off and not comment on Facebook or that if you're silent, you are complicit in the whole th- thing. You know, so, so yeah. it's like people don't know how, what to do. And I think the best thing to do this is what I did because I didn't know what to say uh, because, yeah. I, because again, I, I only know how to respond to things with humor or irreverence. Uh, just donate, donate. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's if, if you feel helpless, but yeah, uh, it is a very, very weird time to be sure. Um, I and, hope people yeah. on, on the left can kind of like try to be a little more tolerant and inspiring instead of, you know, trigger happy and calling everybody out and being super angry. Cause of course we're all angry, but you know, we have to have allies. We can't just keep chasing everybody away and bitching everybody out until there's five of us left that are purists, you know, it's right. just not going to work that way. Yeah. Uh, very wise words from the Boulay brothers, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, well, you can find Bo- the Boulay brothers Dragula on Netflix. Um, it, can you tell everybody else how else to find you on the socials? Uh, yeah, everything's at, uh, for the show. Everything's at Boulay brothers Dragula. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And for us personally, it's just Boulay brothers. You can All also right. check out the podcast creatures of the night on the Fangoria podcast network, which comes yeah. out every couple of weeks. It's been really fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hecklina. Please be sure to subscribe to the show, like us, rate us, and please tell anyone you can about Drag Time with Hecklina. Check out our website and create some comments on past episodes you liked. Uh, thank you, Mark. But most of all, thank you, Drakmorda and Swanthala. Thank, thank you. you for having us. It was so much fun. So fun. Oh, it's, I miss you guys so much. We miss I can't you wait. too. Yeah, I can't wait. We're going to do something together. Hopefully, the beginning of the year, the, the beginning of this year is a total bag of flaming shit. But hopefully, we'll be doing something fun before the year is out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think twenty. I mean, the the left and the people are trying to cancel everybody, but definitely twenty twenty is canceled. Yes, oh it my is. God. But, uh, <laughs> James Arthur is an actor from San Francisco. Uh, he currently is in Vallejo. We're speaking to him from the luxurious town of Vallejo right now. Uh, James, I've known James for many, many years. And James used to uh, choreograph a bunch of my performances back in the day when I still performed. And uh, <laughs> and he was uh, famously, he was Scary Spice in an amazing um, drag rendition of the Spice Girls. He is the co-creator, host, and producer of the podcast Minority Corner. Uh, James, hi. How are you? <laughs> Very good. How many times can I say spice up your life? How many times? <laughs> I think finally I was like, got it. Oh <laughs> man, you, you banned me uh, from being able to say spice up your life at one point. We're doing right. our 
Spice Girls Drag Tour. I don't know if you remember this, but I also made you really mad because you said you were on stage at my birthday and you were it was the Spice Girls and you were like, Hecklina, we um, are going to make you an official Spice Girl. And I said, oh, uh, what? let me guess, Old Spice? So I basically, <laughs> I, I ruined your joke. Oh my God, yeah, and then, yeah, totally and, did. And then, oh. and, then, and then backstage you were like, are you bitch? Let me, you know. <laughs> and the applause came out. That's exactly what happened. Oh, you're just you're just too fast. I can't keep up with you. You're already right. two steps ahead. <laughs> well, tell us about Minority Corner. Yeah, so uh, Minority Corner, actually, we're actually celebrating our uh fifth year. It's been going on for five wow. years now. And it started off with my best friend from college. Um, her and I wanted to start a podcast that it was shortly, honestly, after Ferguson. And we felt like there weren't any voices that were kind of, you know, talking about intersectionality. So there'd be feminist podcasts or gay podcasts, but it'd be just sort of not talking about the intersections of those. And so we started a show. We, you know, she's like my best friend, my sister, just all the things. And, you know, we do pop culture we do news just kind of from our in history like shit that you did not learn in history class and you should have like the Tulsa massacre um or you know all kinds of things and uh yeah our, our approach is you know fun educational learning um but yeah we have a, it's a it's a party it's an educational party and the tagline is although it's called minority corner um together we're the majority and um it's interesting because the podcast listenership people have really been um circling back to us uh, giving everything that's going on right now um with all the civil unrest um and it's interesting because here it is we started the podcast five years ago because of these same issues of systemic you know police violence and uh, creating a space for you know intersectional voices and um, still work to be done. Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. We're still. Well, I'm, I don't want to say we are, but you know, America <laughs> well, is still there. there. You're there. So, you're I mean, well, so I I was. Uh, <laughs> Let, let me let me preface okay. it by saying I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday talking about what you just said about how in history class nobody ever mentions the Tulsa massacre, mm-hmm. nobody ever mentions slavery or Juneteenth. You know that like yeah. black people had who were freed, and for right. two years in Texas they were working, you know, mm-hmm. extra free, and mm-hmm. nobody told them. But yeah, like you're saying, yeah, and also, well, I mean, the way I can relate is you know my grandmother. Uh, it was full is full was full blooded Chippewa Native American, and I, I was raised very much uh, on my dad's side of the family. Uh, it was very it was very Native American. We went to powwows and we did all this mm. stuff. But when I went in, when I went to school, I was taught that um, the pilgrims arrived, and we had we had Thanksgiving with the pilgrims, and everything was hunky dory, and uh, we shared maize and all this stuff. And it wasn't until I grew up that I. I I read uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee and mm. you know what I mean? And learn more yeah. about it. So anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, that, you know, I, well, I'm not that. I'm just a few years younger than you, Heclina. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we practically went to, we like graduated like the same year. Um, <laughs> when I was in high school, just coming up right behind you, I mean, honestly, it was still, literally the same thing too. And even with like civil rights, it was like, you know, oh yeah, there was slavery, but then Martin Luther King came along and, you know, made it all, you know, hunky dory. And, you know, what they don't tell you is that like at the time, Martin Luther King was absolutely like, hated by white people you looked at as like such a such a terrorist but you know everybody on fox news wants like sort of quote him now um and i i think the one thing that is sort of hopeful in terms of like what's going on now um is that 
all people that are protesting that there's, you know, even protests happening like where you are right now, that it's it's multi-generational. It's, you know, uh, multi, you know, ra- racial. It's it's so black. Back then it was like just black people and that one white preacher, you know, like mm, now right. it, there's so many people who are just like, why are how are we still doing this? And I would say even, you know, last time when these protests were happening, like with Ferguson, I had to spend so much of my time. Um, debating the merits of Black Lives Matter. And what's nice is like, we're not having to have that conversation anymore because we've had that for like five years. Okay, we're on the same page because there's a lot of time, effort and energy, you know, lost and wasted on that. But it's been nice to see like, people jumping on board like i am giving snaps to like white folks are like getting in there and doing the work because honestly they hold the majority so that's the only way things are really going to change is if they like get on board and get on the right side of history uh yeah as as a white person uh you know i have been uh, I, i was approached by a lot of people like hecklina you have this platform you should talk about it and i was so afraid of um what do you call it uh performative activism like I, I so I've been mostly I I, I didn't want to I, I see a lot of people posting things and uh, online to get the likes you know what I mean right. and so yeah. I've, I've, I've are they really helping or are they actually right. are they donating money are they doing fundraisers you know all that kind of stuff so it, it is people really need to look at how they are being activists right now yeah um uh, can you? Uh, so here's a question Mark inserted in here. Uh, you can learn. <laughs> you can learn cool stuff on um, Minority Corner, like what's a blurred? <laughs> I'm a blur. You're talking to a blurred. Let me uh, let me let me take a wild guess. Is it a black nerd? Ooh, ten points for Hagelina. There she goes. <laughs> she came here to win. She came here to play. not here to make friends. She came here to make points. Good job. <laughs> That's exactly never, it. Okay. Oh I'm, yeah, I am such a blurred. Um, fun, you know, fact. I don't know if we're just you know dip a toe into like my personal bio. I used to work at uh, Marvel Entertainment. I when I I lived in New York for a period of time, and I picked up this gig as a host uh, for the Marvel YouTube channel, and I got to do like the Black Panther red carpet. I was on a weekly you know show interviewing you know the cast of Agents of Shield and just doing all kinds of like really great Marvel stuff. And um, it was a good time. It was my full blurred experience mm-hmm. um, just showcased. And uh, I lost that job. Do you want to know why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't know why, actually. Let's talk to the people at Marvel. As far as <laughs> I know, what happened is I got reverse Aunt Vived. So that is a term that I look at that silence. They're like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have okay. no idea what that is. On the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, there was two different Aunt Vivs. Oh. There was the darker skin one and then a lighter skin one. And so I got reversed Aunt Vivs, as I like to call it. They, you know, trade. They got a darker skin blurred. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I'm okay yeah. with like I'm okay with that kind of colorism. So that's fine. They traded mm-hmm. in for like even more visibly, you know, black. I guess. But that's just me being bitter. Um, actually, no. And change that being supportive of my fellow black blurred okay wow you you went full circle there yeah, yeah. you you bring you bring these interviews out of us it just goes like to show oprah yeah it just so, goes to show you can change your opinion and your beliefs yeah so i have a question and this is not an easy answer and uh so people are having to look at themselves now and uh so, so people are making a change, but should st- should people still be uh, canceled for something that happened ten or fifteen years ago? Like I'm like there's, there's people are going back and forth with it. Like if you 
are looking at your racism. You, mm-hmm. you need to change this. Yeah. But then, but at the same time, there's all this cancel culture. What do you think about all that? Yeah, that is a, a great question. And I mean, for me, honestly, it actually is kind of easy. I I work in a space of grace. Um, mm. I, I, I I like to give people space to be able to work and grow because it's like, I would say even like cancel culture is like pitchfork culture, but just like mm. online, like people have their torches and their pitchforks. And the problem is we get so angry and triggered by everything mm. um, and that we're so quick to, you know, cancel everybody. Now there's some people like, listen, if you know, saying I'm sorry you were offended is not an apology, right? Right, but right. For people who, you know, step in it, like everyone steps in it. Like we've stepped I've stepped in it, you've stepped in it. Like when you are in the arena or in the world of media, like Sometimes you're going to say things or you're going to have said things or have made a joke, you know, when you're a comedian and, you know, things and times change. And I think that sometimes we have to look at things through um, a horror, like, uh, like like a piece of history, like that joke stands in like, you know, a, a piece of history there. Now, if someone still has those, you know, outdated you know, racist, homophobic ideas, then like, well, we don't need to, you know, for me, I'm not going to pay them any more mind or any more attention or space. But, you know, if someone, you know, has changed their views or ideas or they've grown with the times, because I think we all have, there's going to be things that like, I'm a millennial, there's going to be things that we're going to look back and I'm I like, I'm going to be raked through the coals for like, I can't believe that, you know, you used to say that or, or believe that. So, I think to like, it's important to give a space of grace because especially like in the work that needs to be done, we need allies in this, you know, Uh, especially like, you know, looking at the political system, there's just two parties. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, Bush, he, you know, is, you know, condemning, you know, that agent, agent orange right now or whatnot. And, um, you know, he's done a lot of terrible things, but he's, you know, wanting to grow or at least calling out certain things. And so I just try to give space, uh, space for grace for people, because otherwise it's also a lot of like negativity that I'm holding on to. Right. And there's work that needs to be done and you pick your allies where you can get them. I think that's very wise. And, uh, you know, we do have a two party system and it sucks, but it's not going to change by November. And so uh, one thing I I saw that you were engaging with somebody on Facebook and I totally agree with this. Somebody was saying, I mean, I I just feel like there's no room right now for uh, anti-Biden stuff on because really what are the, and I got into this with Lady Bunny. It's like, Mm -hmm. She, uh, what, what are the options to, yeah. to, to have Trump for another four years? Yeah. And, um, so I just, I look at it as insanity, mm-hmm. uh, because yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pile of shit, but then we have this even bigger pile of shit yep. that we're trying to get rid of. Yeah. So, um, and, and I saw you told you told this person, you know, black people cannot deal with four more years of Trump. Yeah. To me, this was sort of the tipping point where I, you know, I, I, I deal with, you know, the fragile feelings of white people all the time. And Mm I have, you know, I've been, I feel like I'm Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Mm -hmm. Minds, like, you know, always having to educate the white people about like how to, you know, how to, how to, how how to do things. Um, And I just feel like at this point, like the last few weeks, George Floyd and Christian Cooper, the combinations of those, Mm -hmm. because I really saw myself in Christian Cooper, who it's a miracle that he's still alive. The guy who was birdwatching while black and the white woman is like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to call the police on you and tell them that you're, oh, there's a black man attacking me. He also is a fellow blurred and he used to work at Marvel. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that, 
could have been me. I've had really terrible interactions with, you know, the New York Police Department and whatnot. And I think that that's when I just kind of had for myself. I don't have time. Like you either are on uh, everything you do from now on is going to be either to help Joe Biden get elected or Donald Trump. Everything you say, everything you don't say, everything you post, everything you don't post. And I think that people are not utilizing their full power and ability, like dragging Joe Biden all the time. Like, I don't like, listen, he was like my seventh choice. That guy who wore that plaid tie. I think he was like higher on my right, list. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. But it's kind of like, I mean, so I, yes, as you pointed out, I'm a little bit older than you. Just so a few I, years. I remember, you know, fucking Al Gore. Right. Uh, because, because they, they, they threw the green party and Ralph Nader into the mix. And that's why right. we had, that's why we had George W for eight yeah. fucking years. Yeah. You know? So, well, which, I never thought I'd be nostalgic for George I W. Know, right? Like, uh-huh. oh, jeez. But also just, <laughs> I will say that also just shows how forgiving, and I think that speaks to, I'm going to, it speaks to your heart. Like, to be able to be in a place of, like, forgiveness and moving forward is, you know, it's a big thing. And I, I think it's also, too, like, how spoiled some folks have been in terms of, like, that, like, they got to have Obama for eight years, you know? Like, sometimes when it comes to, like, the national election, you don't always get, like, the coolest, best person. Sometimes just like okay who's gonna allow the country not to bleed as much and like at least with joe biden you have someone who will listen to the progressive agenda like the guy currently running the guy currently in the white house like if you want people are like so many white people are like what can i do what can i do vote for joe biden and not only go vote for him but like go like get other people to vote for him campaign adopt a state there's like the actual tangible things that you can do putting your ego aside of who it is that you wanted i feel like like a lot of folks who uh you know are griping about joe biden haven't like you know the primary happened we have to move on you know people are dying you know we're in the middle of this pandemic it's it's if you are still dragging your feet i feel like it's because you can afford another four years and there's folks who just literally can't and if you look at like joe biden he's not perfect he sticks his foot in his mouth we give grace i give grace for him to like make mistakes and grow he literally is just like a door jam in the world in the world of democracy to stop that door from closing and look at his policies i think people aren't they're just looking at the headlines of things go look at his platform he actually has a lot of things for you know the black community specifically um you know uh, restructuring criminal justice and, and reform and if it's not what you want then like use your democratic voice to push him further to the left not dragging him but use your power to push him to the left sorry you got me on my political soapbox no it's true <laughs> let's um let's let's jump back a little bit to white people again oh yeah so uh white people you you know uh, you've, <laughs> you've you said you've been in a position a position of telling white people like you want to help then do this yeah should what do you think white people should listen to a minority corner oh my god a hundred percent uh they uh-huh. should listen to a minority corner I, a lot of the feedback that i get from i i think in general a lot of people who listen to podcasts are white anyways and we're part of the maximum fun network uh which is a podcasting network that we've been on for about four years now a lot of listenership there there is they're white and Mm -hmm. um no it's not a bad thing that's who you are and we love you for it and (laughs) (laughs) you can't help that you know love yourself um i think one of the things the biggest things like they will walk away with just 
you know, hearing things from history that they hadn't heard before, you know, or just hearing a different perspective. Like there's, you know, people who weren't surprised that that guy got elected was black Twitter. Like they saw this shit coming. Like there's just Mm. certain, so it's like if you broaden your horizons and your scope of what it is that you're listening to, like that's how you're going to be a better ally. I've been saying this, I might've stolen this from someone, but we'll just say that I have coined this because everyone's been giving me credit for it. But when you're an ally, it's like you're the intern. You're there to listen, support, and get the coffee, you know? And that's what we need you to do. So with that, like... Stop watching Friends and go watch the Living Singles. Like, go, like, that you're not giving those are terrible options. Those are That's both how you terrible can be an options. Ally. That's how you can be an ally. By watching Living Single, can I at least watch? Uh, I don't know. Uh, can, I, can I at least watch The Jeffersons? That's more my era. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> dude, mine too. I remember. Weezy. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah, this, we're definitely having a moment right now where where uh, white people do have to look at themselves. And I've been having a lot of that, too. You know, like, am I a racist? What what do you what do you tell people who are just defensive about this? It, it, I think they're for one, they're missing the point. And I well, two, two things. I think one, like to let the defense down, because that doesn't help. That just mm-hmm. walls up and it's it's use. We're wasting time here. Right. Right. Like we we live in a systemically racist society. So, of course, you're going to have some remnants of racism within you. Like I. Mm-hmm. I'm a cisgender male, so there's certain, like, I have to consciously work to be a feminist and be anti-sexist on a daily basis, you know? Right. Um, because it's the society that we grew, that we, I grew up in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a constant work of dismantling that. Like, the work never, no one gets, no one gets just retire and just watch, eat bonbons and watch Netflix. Like, you can do that on the side to recharge, but it's the constant work that needs to happen. And I guess, so... The defensiveness, like owning it, like it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know what? Like maybe I wasn't, especially too, it's like if someone's telling you that something that you're doing is racist, like mm-hmm. the, defending that doesn't help. Sometimes just listening, right? Again, being an ally, I'm listening, yeah. supporting, I'm getting the coffee and check that in for yourself, right? You can check it in, filter that for yourself, find the gold nuggets and then mm-hmm. strive to be a better person. Like if I tell you you're stepping on my foot, you don't just keep saying, no, I'm not and step even harder, Right. Because right, right. you don't know. And I guess, too, the second thing is it's not enough to just say, oh, I'm not racist. That doesn't do anything. You have we to be anti-racist. Yes. Yeah. Once mm-hmm. again, stealing my punchline, hey, Kleena. <laughs> well, I mean, because I've, I've been reading a lot about this. And, you know, like, of course, I've been in my quarantine with lots of time to think and oh, yeah. seeing all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And I look back on pictures back from the 90s and all my friends all my clicks, everybody yeah. was white. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And, uh, and I, when I booked people to perform, I, in my mind, I was like, I'm just booking people who are the best for these shows. Right. You know what I mean? And now I have to actively think, okay, I need to book people of color because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's so many things yeah. to think about now. Right. Um. So I, I don't know. Is there anything that Mark has a lot of questions here, but I don't know how to phrase them. Mark, do you want to ask some questions? One of the things we were thinking about when we were talking about doing this episode with with you is that um, we we want to recognize our audience, like mm. specifically the the non-white 
educate people in our audience, specifically the black people in our audience and mm-hmm. let them know that we care about them. Yeah. But, but also like we're trying to figure out how to do that because we don't want to, we don't want to perpetuate the idea that it's okay to just like put it on your black friends or put it on the black totally. people that you know, or put it on that one guy who, you know, seems like he totally knows how to, how to give the message. Like, right. Because we're talking about people who are probably exhausted from yes. like a lifetime of talking about like why their lives matter and yeah. how America is dangerous for black people. So without with that in mind, we wanted to let people know about Minority Corner. Yeah. But we also, you know, we wanted to take the chance with you to find out like how to care for people in our community in these conversations on podcasts and media on our Facebook posts when we're just forwarding stuff so that we can keep talking to one another. But like we were thinking listening to minority corner is a good way to do that. I think it's the number one idea. I think like everybody should be listening to minority corner. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you're not, you're doing it wrong. I mean, You're missing a great thing for your life. So I definitely think for everybody across the world, step one, listen to minority corner. Um, (laughs) Oh my God. Trying to get a book deal, okay? Um, (laughs) I need to meet Oprah. Um, Mm. But then I think the second thing too, I think um, think you touched on something, Mark, is that, you know, a lot of, uh, specifically black folks, are tired, you know, especially mm-hmm. depending on the 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 community that they grew up in or their experience. So some folks are tired, and that's why, like I was saying, um, it, it's 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 sort of a delicate dance, and I think you have to kind of t- meet each person individually where they are. Like I'm okay being the Michelle Pfeiffer dangerous minds. Like, all right, white people, we're going to have a heart to heart and we're going to have a talk. This is what you need to know. Right. <laughs> but yeah. not everybody is. And that they are more than welcome to not like, cause there's so much material out there. There are, there's so much media out there. There's so many podcasts for people to listen to. There's, you can Google like how to not be a racist. There's books out there. There's even like white support groups to talk about racism with just white Mm -hmm. people, which I think is actually really great. Cause I think sometimes I think what happened is for a while, like white folks were just too scared to say the wrong thing. And so they just didn't say anything. And I think that's how we got ourselves into this. This we're in the dark right now. We need to turn on the lights and see where the mess is, right? Like you're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to step on some toes, but that's why I think when we said earlier about the importance of grace, like everyone Putting the pitchforks down. We'll pick them up when we need to, right? Like when Mel Gibson's acting a fool, get that pitchfork up and those torches. Let's go get him. But but that's why like we need to make sure there's this space of, of grace for people because people are going to say the wrong things and that's how we learn, right? You're going to offend somebody and it's just the, the, the grace and the apology and the forgiveness and the growth that kind of all happened there and meeting each individual person as, as to where they are. And to my fellow black folks who are out there, intersectional black folks, like my queer black folks, I know you are tired. I totally get it. So take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And for me, the thing that has been really helpful for me personally is finding someone through history to kind of be my guiding light and inspiration. So for me, it's been Harriet Tubman because as challenging as I'm like, Oh man, you know, being black and queer, it's sure is a challenge here in this country. But 
I mean, Harriet Tubman, like she didn't have Netflix. Like she didn't have like, you know, a dance class to go to. Like, you know, like she she freed hundreds of slaves and uh, like, you know, couldn't even soak her feet in the tub or something, you know, like and just did the work and just kind of kept being guided. And I feel like every generation, uh, it's it's we each have our art to push the needle further. Right. I am fighting for a future I will absolutely never see. And, you know, sometimes we can be so, oh, I'm so triggered and traumatized. I can't do anything. It's like, well, you, you don't think the people on the, you know, Birmingham, Alabama bridge weren't traumatized. Like the people oh, God, in the yeah. weren't traumatized. Like trauma is part of life. So it's like, how do we move through that, heal through it, and then get activated to make sure that the next generation behind us doesn't have to deal with this same shit. Well, yeah, and you you brought up a, a, a point too. You are black and queer, and what do you think about? So we have to remind everybody: not only do Black Lives Matter, Black queer lives mm-hmm. matter, Black trans mm-hmm. lives matter. So there are, uh, you know, people within the, you know, there are people attacking one another in the same community because of their sexuality right. or whatever. Like, so, but again, that's also not an easy fix. Yeah, that's that's and and you know, nothing is an easy fix. Donald Trump did not invent racism. No, of course, you know, and yeah. it's not going to go. It's not going to go away with him. With him, mm-hmm. but um, not nothing is an easy fix. And all people can do right now is try to do something. Yes, and uh, and I don't think I think as long as you're doing something mm-hmm. to to be anti-racist or to fight, uh, I'm kind of remote here. I'm I've I've just been wait, what I've been doing is raising money and donating. Yeah, but you know, but other people are there on the front lines, and I think it's great. Yeah, you well, know? and you're also you're doing this podcast too as well. And mm-hmm. two, also let's take a pause and a beat to also reflect that like we're also in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Like that's another reason why I'm just grace has been my guiding word to remind people of like if someone seems like they're acting heightened more than usual, we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic. It's like, Hello. it's like, it's like, you know, we're in, it's combined the 1918 pandemic, the great depression and the civil rights movement all happening at once. Like it's right. a lot within, within the past couple of months. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> These are usually yeah. like generational defining moments and we're having right, them right. all at one time. So it's like, I just kind of remind people of that. And I think, you know, I, you know, we, we all have to do our part in whatever it is is in that. And if it's, you know, uh, educating ourselves, being more kind, if it is going to a protest or creating art Mm -hmm. listening to other, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, they're just, as long as you're doing something, keep swimming, keep swimming as Dory said. Uh, Oh, James, James, you're so wise. (laughs) You're, you're, you're wise beyond your years. How did you do it? Therapy. Um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of therapy and Oprah, Oprah and therapy. Don't don't forget Oprah. Oh yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to cover or do you have any organizations you want to give a shout out to? Yeah. Um, there's a few. So I, I, uh, aside from my podcast, plug, plug, plug again. Oh my God. And so you can definitely love for y'all to join us at minority corner. It's mainly myself, my co-host. She had a baby. So she just dips in every once in a while, but I have wonderful guest co-hosts who come in. Uh, Hecklina, you should come co-host with me on the I show. I would love to. Yes. Okay. We'll have to do that. Uh, but you can catch minority corner corner you can subscribe we're on uh apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you are we are there we have a new episode every friday and we've been doing something new since we have um let's see over 200 and 
30 episodes. And in each episode, we usually cover two different, at least two different topics. So we have, you know, over 400 topics that we've covered um, around all kinds of different issues of like, you know, why your camera is racist or the uh, history of the Texas Rangers who slaughtered a bunch of Mexican-Americans. Um, so we have all kinds of topics. So what we've been doing is every Tuesday, we're re-releasing just one of those segments. Um, so you have, you know, you can even Tuesdays and Fridays come and hang out on the Minority Corner. All right. Now tell us, too, about your weekly dance class and your Adopt-A-State for the Election program. Hakleta helped me bust into the dance world in San Francisco, and I've been continuing dancing ever since. I started uh, choreographing with a company called Bayer Flash Mob. I then started my own dance company, Icon Dance Collective. Whoa. Yeah. Wait. So, wait. Oh, hold on a second. Mark, are you hearing this? Yeah, I'm so hearing I it. I, I got actually, it on tape. Wait. No, no. I actually... I changed his life. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think this is, this is this is not the first this it's not the first person that came on this podcast to tell me that I've changed their lives. Right. Well, you did the same thing for Darcy, right? Wasn't Darcy not sure what she was going to do with her next leg of her career, and then yes, <laughs> absolutely. And Alaska came out and said it. See, I changed her life. So okay, I'm sorry. Continue. You honestly, too. I do want to give you snaps. I think you you absolutely like have changed the lives of so many people. And a lot of the successes I've had in San Francisco came from meeting you and then getting to work with, you know, uh, I worked with Peaches and just, you know, getting Barry Flash Mob and getting to start my own dance company. And anyways, I was in New York and I wasn't teaching dance for the past five years when I was in New York. And then I came back here to California. I was going to move to LA and then the pandemic happened and I'm just going to stay here in San Francisco Bay Area because I love it. It's great. But I had some of my students who were like, oh, you should teach dance classes. And I was like, no, people are dying. I don't want to teach dance classes. Like, what are you talking about? We're in the middle of a pandemic. But as they say, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. And once I started breathing and realizing like, okay, I'm going to be fine. Everything is good. I started thinking about how can I give back and be of service. And through teaching dance. So now I'm back to teaching dance on the Zooms every Saturday at 2 p.m. So each month we learn a new routine. My bread and butter of uh, choreography comes from my dance teachers were Janet and Brittany. Um, and so I just teach music video choreography. Like you've always wanted to learn that slave for you dance, right? No one wants to see when you go out to the wedding or when we can do those again or on your TikToks. No one wants to see your own personal dance to slay for you. They want to see the routine, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cute. You did some things in the kitchen. No, we want to see <laughs> full snake moves, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So, yeah, every Saturday I teach um, uh, every month we work on one routine. And we build on it each week. Uh, class is free, but donations or tips are totally welcome. Uh, this month, I'm donating some of the proceeds to Black Visions Collective, uh, which is helping towards uh, Black queer voices and uh, sort of actions surrounding those. And this month, because it's Pride, we are dancing to the Ariana Grande Gaga hit Rain On Me, learning that funky choreography, uh, because it's supposed to be it's Pride Month, and it's a really gay-ass song, and and I also think those lyrics are so fitting because it's like, I'd rather be dry. I don't know the words, you know, but something about right, right. <laughs> I'd rather be dry, but at least I'm alive. Ooh, I think that's it. Exactly. So there's a lot of, 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 of pain and anguish that's happening, but it's like, I'm still every day I wake up and I'm grateful that I'm still alive. So the class has been really fun. You should all absolutely join us. Well, I think it's so amazing how you have, you do all this and you're still 
to my knowledge, not bitter. Um, that might ha- that might be a little, uh, partly due to you being a couple of years younger than me. But I, I just got to say, I love I love your um, look on life, you know. Aww. And uh, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us in the podcast today. And I cannot wait to be a featured guest on Minority, Minority Corner. Oh, I can't wait either. Oh, can I just plug two more things, Eklina? Of course. Anything you want. (laughs) Okay. So there's a few things I just want to point people into the direction of. Again, we're talking about like, what can I do? Um, There's two organizations to definitely Google. One is Campaign Zero and Eight Can't Wait. They're ideas and policies that we want to get enacted in all of our cities um, because a lot of police reforms actually to come and happen at the local level. And there are policies and ideas around from defunding the police, which is essentially like why is the my cat's in a tree? Why is there a police showing up with a gun? Like there should be, you know, a social worker with a ladder or something. So there's all these different policies and initiatives that we want to get ourselves familiar with so we can start sort of reimagining what we actually want this, you know, demilitarized, de-police state uh, to exist in. So I definitely recommend those two, Campaign Zero, Eight Can't Wait. And then also, too, something that I'm doing that's really fun, and Heckley and I think you should do it too, it's called Adopt a State. And uh, it's a program where you get to, as you know, we live in California, so it's, you know, going to be pretty blue. But uh, there's six swing states that uh, this program is focusing on where you can adopt a state. They're going to train you up on how to be a digital organizer um, from helping people just to remember their, you get to, you know, those annoying texts you get? About like, yes. oh, you that could be you, Hecklina. And just imagine you will light up some Arizonian or Michigan night. I don't know what they call themselves. But uh, you can light up their world with a text to remind them to go out there and vote. So it's been, you know, I think it's all hands on deck. Something that you had said earlier, like, Everybody has to be doing something. No one gets to yes. just sit back and like chill and hang out. Mission accomplished. No, like we keep working until the work is done, and and that's what we have to do. Yeah, very very wise. I, I try. I try. And yes, and cute. Ah, adorable. Um, <laughs> I miss you. I miss you too. This was so wonderful. Thank you for having me. It was me so on. wonderful. Thank you so much, James Arthur, for joining us, informing us, and thank you for the podcast Minority Corner. Uh, you can find and follow James Arthur M on Twitter as at James Arthur underscore M. And on Instagram at James Arthur M and subscribe to the podcast Minority Corner. And that is Corner with a K. Awesome. Yay. All right. Thanks to our special guests, the Boulay Brothers, and this week's special contributor, James Arthur M. Be sure to check out our website, dragtimewithheclina.com, to find a link to the Minority Corner podcast. The photograph for our episode artwork is by Jose Guzman Colon. Graphics are by Nancy French. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me. I'm Mark. 